Welcome to Sermons from Iceland, a podcast that highlights the most recent sermons from Lofstofan Baptista Kirka, a Bible-based church in the Reykjavik, Iceland area. Pastor Gunnar Ingi Gunnarsson and the ministry staff of Lofstofan are grateful that you're joining us for today's study in God's Word as a supplement to your weekly routine of meeting with your local church to worship Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Today's program was recorded on Sunday, October 31st, 2021. The message title, Being More Than Spiritual, a continuing study in the book of 1 John. All right, brothers and sisters. Uh, so we're in 1 John chapter 4. As if, if you haven't been with us, what we typically do is we work our way through the books of the Bible and simply the next sermon is going to be the next verses. And so today we're dwelling on 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Would you stand with me as we uh, read these, ver- uh, these words aloud? Man, I'm really struggling with my, my V's and W's uh, lately. <clears throat> it says here, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know, the spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Amen. So we're going to be dwelling on this. Uh, You may be seated. Basically, uh, the idea that I'm hoping that we walk away with today is that we would aim to be more than just spiritual. Um, I don't know about you guys, but, oh, by the way, uh, uh, Kelvin, I, I shared the document with you just just like five minutes ago. So <laughs> it should be on the Google Docs if you want to get the, or I can just tell you when the next slide is. I can tell you. Anyways, I, I don't know about you guys, but uh, I've, I've had quite a few conversations with uh, people who are hesitant about faith, uh, sometimes for very good reasons, partially um, due to the horror they've seen done in the name of religion in modern day. Has anyone run into this or maybe even struggled with this themselves, seeing stuff that people have done in the name of God and said, I want nothing to do with that? Anybody run into? I'm only, I see some heads shaking. I often mention to them that, you know, there's, and I love these kind of people. So there's a couple of people who decided to, run over all documented worlds and uh, wars in history and put them in a book in, in uh, three parts called the Encyclopedia of Wars. And if anybody brings this question up, I remind them that out of the 1,763 wars that are documented in history, only 121 of them are actually religious in nature, you know, fights between different religions and so on and so forth. Um, but even if they were, all of them would be religious. Let's say, all 1,763 wars that are documented in history would be religious in nature. Wouldn't it be kind of weird to clump all religions into the same category? 
Uh, it would be kind of like me going to an atheist and saying, why would you hold to this ideology? Ideology has done innumerable damage to the human race and caused so many deaths. Or if I would say to someone, wait, why do you hold to this philosophy? Philosophies have done an immense damage to humanity over the ages. Well, a natural question for someone encountering me saying that, that ideologies have caused innumerable deaths would be, well, which, which ideologies cause innumerable deaths? But for some reason, when it comes to theology or religion, even those who are spiritual or even those who maybe claim to be religious have no problem with viewing religion as one category and not seeing the differences therein. And so we find ourselves in our verses today where John is encouraging us to know God instead of just being enamored with simple spirituality. He wants us to know the real God. And John wants us to know that even the devil himself is a spiritual being. And so if you, if you, maybe you're in here and you've had it as a part of your life to aim to be a spiritual human being, I don't know if you run into this, like when, when people hear I'm a pastor, they feel like they have to tell me what they believe for some reason, like I, even when I'm not asking for it. So it's like, oh, I'm not a Christian, but I'm a, I'm a spiritual be human being, you know? And I'm like, well, you know, you need to get a little more specific. <laughs> the devil is a spirit. Are you a devil worshiper? Or, you know, like, what, what do you mean when you say I'm a spiritual human being? So my hope is through the text that John is writing to us is to remind us that we are to be more than just merely spiritual. We need to know God and we need to love God. And now uh, I want to start with verse one um, here. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Uh, John tells his readers and, and us today that we should be aware, that we should be aware to not just become people who are mesmerized by spiritual experiences or displays of spiritual power, but that we should be people who practice uh, discernment, that we know what kind of spiritual experience this is, what kind of spiritual power this is. <clears throat> so it is easy, specifically if you're, if you're just new to the faith and then you start running into encounters like spiritual attacks or even other people who claim to have spiritual experiences or spiritual authority to become overly focused on the spectacle, right? To become overly focused on the miracles, overly focused on the spiritual experiences and forget in that process to actually know God and to love God. And John wants us to know in verse one and two, that the purpose of godly spiritual experiences and spiritual power is not the power or experience in and of itself. The point of a miracle is not the miracle in and of itself, but it is to point to God. It is to say, hey, here's spiritual power. Look at the God who has such power, right? So every time I read like the gospel of Mark, for instance, in chapter six, I, I have to stop and I read these verses very slowly because I think it gives a great glimpse into what the primary focus of Jesus's ministry was and how often both the modern church and maybe even the historical church gets it wrong when it's talking about miracles and all this type of stuff. Uh, now this is happening as, as Jesus visits his hometown 
and uh, they don't receive him well because they're too familiar with him. Imagine, you, you know, you grew up with Jesus, you know, his mom, his dad, his sisters, you drank the same waters as this guy. And all of a sudden he's coming into town and saying he is God incarnate. And they're having really difficult time with that. It's like, wait a minute. I remember you running around in your diaper. <laughs> you're telling me you're God. And so he comes into his hometown and uh, they have real trouble uh, seeing him as God himself. And so in Mark 6, in verses five through six, as he's leaving the town, it says here, and he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. <laughs> Isn't that an interesting verse? He could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. That's interesting, right? And he marveled because of their unbelief and he went about among the villages teaching. Isn't it very interesting that it says he did not do any mighty work there, oh, except for healing a few people. For most of us, that would be like, whoa, you healed a few people. That sounds like a mighty work to me, right? <laughs> that would be something that most of the modern church or even historical church would be like, that is awesome. We would focus in on those healings, right? We would want to know more. What kind of healings? Were there dead people raised to life? You know, what happened? Uh, did limbs grow? Like what's going on? But Mark sort of skips all the details and says, he did nothing mighty there except he healed a few people. Well, if the main goal of Jesus wasn't to heal people bodily, what was the goal of Jesus? I think that you can get a great glimpse of this in Acts 1.8 when Jesus is telling his disciples that the Holy Spirit is coming and he reveals why the Holy Spirit is coming uh, with, with spiritual experiences and spiritual power. And it says here, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So there in this verse, he's saying, you're gonna receive spiritual power you're going to have a spiritual experience. And the point of the power, the point of the experience is so that you can be my witness all over the world. You can tell people about Jesus. Well, we get so enamored by the spiritual experience and the power in and of itself. Jesus wants the spiritual experience and the power to lead to us being enamored with God who's performing them. Now in Jesus's hometown, Mark recounts that yes, Jesus may have healed some bodily people, you know, and delayed death for them, but he was there to do more than just delay death for people. If they would have simply known who Jesus was and accepted him for who he was, they would have realized that he was there not simply to delay death for people. He was there to defeat death once and for all. He was there to give eternal life. Meanwhile, they were, they were focused on broken limbs being restored, but they were unaware of broken souls, broken hearts, broken image bearers of God that he was come to restore. When we ask ourselves, which one is the greatest miracle? Which one is the greatest miracle? Is it that he heals a broken limb and he delays death for someone? Or he gives eternal life to someone? And so often 
when we talk about miracles or spiritual experiences, and I don't want to minimize that. I believe that God does miracles even today. I believe God gives us spiritual experiences even today. But once that is the focus and we don't allow that to give all the focus and glory and honor to Jesus, we've missed the point. And so you see this in the very beginning of the book of Acts. So right after Acts 1.8 is happening, we, we jump to Acts chapter three. And here is this story of Peter and John and they're walking along the way and they heal, uh, they see a lame man and he asks for money and, and they sort of have this like CSI sentence, you know, the CSI sentence, all like these one-liners. I don't have any money, but what I do have, I will give to you. Uh, they heal him. That's how I imagine that scene going down. They, they heal the man and he stands in front of everybody and, and there are a bunch of witnesses there that see what's going on and they start wondering what's, what's going on and what happens. Does Peter say, yeah, this is an amazing miracle. We should think about this for a while. <laughs> we should marvel over the miracle. No, he says right away in, in chapter three and verse 12, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? as though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk. We are men. <laughs> we, we can't do this. This is, this is God. And then he breaks out into a impromptu sermon and just read that sermon. If you, if you go home after this and, and just read chapter three, and just highlight how often he mentions Jesus, how often he mentions God. They, they move right away from the miracle to the miracle maker right away. But to bring this all back to 1 John chapter 4, the next slide, he is reminding us that the purpose of spiritual experiences and display of spiritual power should be in the end to point us to Jesus. And we as Christians, we're called to be people who, who discern these spiritual experiences with uh, the test to see if they are ultimately godly or not. Now, this is not just job of a preacher, although a Titus 1.9 tells all pastors in a church to be ready to refute wrong doctrine, but it's also a part of your part. It's not simply like some professional Christian who's supposed to discern what is right and wrong. But even if we jump to 1 Corinthians 14, uh, uh, was it 29? <clears throat> it, says, it says there, <clears throat> when he's talking about uh, when we gather, let two or three prophets speak and let others weigh what is said. What he's saying there is writing to the Corinthian church. If there's a prophet that comes and speaks, you need, to, you need to check. Is this actually biblical? Is this godly? Is it pointing to Jesus? And then in 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, 19 through 21, he says this, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast what is good. So dear brothers and sisters, I don't want us to be afraid of spiritual experiences. I don't want us to be afraid of goosebumps or feelings. Sometimes that's okay. Some of you are like, oh, what is this thing that I'm experiencing? Oh, a feeling is popping up to the surface. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but also, let's not be people who are simply led by how we feel all the time. Let's not be people who are simply led by an experience every single time. Let's Let's not be afraid of goosebumps, but also let's not build our faith on goosebumps, right? And we are here, basically, that when we, when we uh, weigh out what is said, 
you know, if we think about what he's writing to the Thessalonians and we say, okay, how do we, how do we weigh what is good and what is bad? How do we know if it's actually godly or not? Well, first John tells us there's a point to the real Jesus. And then you have to ask yourself the question, how do I know who the real Jesus is? He's revealed in scripture. He's revealed in his word. Brothers and sisters, we ought not to be cynics. And I don't either want us to be fools, but somewhere between being a cynic and a fool is a middle where there's godly discernment. And we get to test the experiences that we go through and the power that we may see on display. Now, the second thing in our verses I would like to focus in on today is verse three. And it says there, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Now, a few sermons back, we, we dwelt a little bit about what Antichrist means and the prefix anti can either mean the opposite of or a replacement of, right? And so often we think of the Antichrist as the opposite of Christ. So we think of uh, Christ as being uh, loving. And so the Antichrist just walks down the leg over there slapping people, right? That's how we think of uh, the Antichrist. Or Christ is uh, merciful and the other, the Antichrist is just kicking people in the shin all the time. Like, and, and, and that's not necessarily what the Bible represents as Antichrist because he's, he's wise enough to realize we won't fall for that. <laughs> It's like, well, should I, should I love Jesus who loves me or the guy who just keeps slapping me across the face? Probably Jesus, right? <laughs> and so I, I think we can make a biblical assumption that the Antichrist is not necessarily the opposite of Christ, the complete opposite in every single way, but rather someone trying to replace Christ, trying to come in at, instead of Christ. Um, and so we dove a little bit into that. You can listen to the sermon online if you missed that. But I find it very interesting, while most people uh, await for the Antichrist to arrive, John here is telling us that the spirit of the Antichrist is already here. And so what that tells us is that this verse is not for some future generation of Christians that need to be discerning. It's for, for the people in John's day and it's for us. We need to discern every spiritual power on display and every spiritual experience to see if it actually makes much of Jesus. And not just if it makes much of a Jesus, but the Jesus of scripture. And so in other words, it's not, yeah, it's not future generations problem. It's our problem. And he wants us to help us be aware of how people and spirits have tried to oppose Jesus or depose Jesus. I, I think it is helpful for us to think of this in, in three categories. Uh, and I, I put them uh, the category slide on there. Uh, there's like three main attacks that I see done on Jesus. And uh, there's these three, there's the denial of the humanity of Jesus. And on the other hand, there's the, the denial of the divinity or godly, godhood of Jesus. And then there is the, the denial of the true identity of Jesus. And before we dive into these three categories, let me just underline this. All of these categories are made possible because feelings are made to be king, spiritual experiences and power is seen as the end goal and not the means to the end, which is Jesus. And this all thrives in an environment or a community 
where scripture is neglected or ignored. All right. So let's start with one attack on Jesus, which is the humanity of Jesus. Can anybody think of examples where someone is denying the humanity of Jesus today? And I know like pastors usually throw rhetorical questions and not expect a response, but I genuinely, I genuinely, you're welcome to, to throw a response in here. Anybody think of a way that the humanity of Jesus is denied in the modern context? Like for instance, did he even exist? So that's one, of, one way that humanity of Jesus is denied. A lot of like atheists are saying, ah, oh, there was never really a Jesus, right? But it's not really that popular today to deny the humanity of Jesus. Most people don't have a problem with this, but we're gonna start with this because in John's day, this was his biggest problem. So he is writing in a context where there's this religious group called the Gnostics. They were all about being enlightened and, and coming to know secret knowledge, right? And so he's writing in a context where this religion is taking Jesus and they wanna make him a part of Gnosticism, but they wanna change Jesus to fit into their religious categories. And one of the ways that, um, the Gnostics thought about spirituality was that um, anything physical, this table, this skin, it's all bad. And if you truly wanted to be enlightened or spiritual, then you needed to let go of the skin. You needed to die. You needed to not own any property. You needed to let go of anything physical. And so if Jesus was to be the most enlightened human to ever walk the earth, well, he must have not been a human at all. He must have looked like a human, but if he was truly enlightened, he didn't really have flesh. He wasn't truly physical. And so in, Jesus, in John's day, what he was fighting was something that we don't encounter a whole lot today, which is a religious group trying to hijack Jesus to make him not physical. And they were trying to fit him into their categories. That is still happening all over the place today. But he's saying, no, 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 no. You can't take him and make him your own. You take him or leave him as he is. You can't make him fit your categories. So they may give honor to the name of Jesus. They may use the same word, the same vocabulary. But when it comes to defining the words, who actually is this Jesus? He's not the Jesus of scripture. And they may refer to Jesus as the Christ, but it is a false idea of Jesus that they've made to fit into their system. It's not the real Jesus who came in real flesh and blood to be a sacrifice in our place. And that is why, you know, I, I mentioned in very beginning of first John, it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of funny actually, because I, I think of John as this very uh, compulsive guy. <laughs> he, he totally skips a greeting. He isn't like, hello everyone. Uh, thank you for reading my letter. And now let's get to the, no, no, no. He just comes out swinging. Like put the verses, First uh, John 1 to 3. He, he just skips the greeting and everything. And he goes full on into that which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Do you see what he's doing there? He's like, Gnostics, I touched him. I saw him. He was manifest. I heard him. He was real. He was human. And so John is warning his readers that if they have spiritual experiences or even if they see spiritual displays of power, 
but it does not lead to a correct understanding of who Jesus is, it's worthless. It's not of God. Now, to some extent, this view may still exist today, but only in minor ways. I think it's mostly through people who say, you know, like, oh, I think Jesus wasn't really a person, maybe a concept as to what the ideal human should be like or something like that. But other than that, I don't really see this very prevalent. Now, most false religions in our day have no problem with the humanity of Jesus, but they do feel uncomfortable about the divinity of Jesus. And that, that's the second point of attack, which is the divinity of Jesus. So if you're familiar with, for instance, uh, uh, Islam, Islam is a religion that would recognize Jesus as a prophet, but calling him God would be heresy, you know? Or you might run into something like Jehovah's Witnesses. And Jehovah's Witnesses might say, Jesus was a great, you know, great guy. <laughs> I guess I, they wouldn't word it like that. They would probably word it. They, they use very similar words to us. But in the end, if you really get down to it and you ask him, is Jesus God? They will tell you, no. He is the first and best created being, but he is not God. Or you might run into the Mormons who might say, uh, well, you know, Jesus is a God among many others. And if you behave yourself, you can be a God one day and have your own planet and all this type of stuff. And so do you see there that even people, there's groups that would use the same words that would even give lip service to Jesus. But when it comes to defining who is really Jesus, they're in a whole different place. And when you read the scriptures, they clearly testify to Jesus being God and Jesus refers to himself as God. And this is my problem when people say, oh, you know, Jesus got some things right and he was a really good teacher, but he wasn't God. And in my mind, I go, wait a minute. <laughs> Either he thought he was God when he wasn't truly God, which would make Jesus a lunatic, right? Not a good teacher, a lunatic. Or he knew he wasn't God and yet claimed to be God, which would make him a, a liar and possibly a sociopath. Or he claimed to be God because he was God, which would make him Lord. You cannot put Jesus in a category that's simply kind of important. Either he's a lunatic or a liar, or he is who he says he is. He is the Lord of the universe. And John reminds us that displays of spiritual power and spiritual experiences are to point to the God who works behind them. In which case they should lead us to worship Jesus. But if we take a moment, and this is probably the easy part, we can point fingers outwards and say, those, you know, those fools who deny the humanity of Jesus, or we can point to other religions and say, oh, what fools you are to, de to you know, deny the divinity of Jesus. But here is if, if we look a little inward to the church today and we examine our own hearts, this is probably the, the biggest struggle with the modern evangelical church is some of us, we deny the identity of Jesus. And this is by far the most prevalent and dangerous lie about Jesus in the church today. Now, Jesus in many ways may be acknowledged to be a human, to be divine in theory, 
but in reality, many people don't even acknowledge his personhood. What, what the modern church has done, and not just us, the historical church has done this as well. We've, we've taken Jesus and we've treated him like a concept and not a person. And the problem with that is with a concept, you can take and tweak a concept. If you're building a concept of a person, you can make them blonde or blue-eyed or brown hair or brown skin or white skin, whatever else. You can, you can tweak a concept. But if it's a person, you take them as they are or you reject them as they are. You can't tweak a person and make them fit your mold for them. And unfortunately, this is what I think has happened with the, the modern evangelical church that's maybe neglected and sometimes just completely ignored scriptures. We've, we've taken Jesus and we've made him into a concept to fit what we would like him to be like. And we take what we like and we take all the stuff we don't like and we treat Jesus like the salad bar at Hogkip, right? Like anybody go to the salad bar? I used to, I used to tell people I went to the salad bar and really I just got like a bunch of meatballs and spaghetti. <laughs> people thought I was like super, oh man, he's getting healthy. He's going to the salad bar. No, no, no. I was just getting the carbs at the salad bar, you know? And, and that's what many people do with Jesus. They, they treat him like a salad bar. I will take what I like and I will skip what I don't like. And what have we done? We may laugh at the people who de deny the humanity of Jesus or de deny the divinity of Jesus, but what we've done is denied his identity. We've made him to look like me. Instead of allowing scripture to, to change me, I am starting to play games with what this verse could possibly mean. Or I mean, should this book even be in the Bible? Let's just quickly read over this and move to something different. It starts with, well, of course, faith has to evolve with the times. And then don't you find it ironic that when Jesus has finally evolved, he basically starts to agree with you on everything that you used to disagree with him on. Sometimes I really ask myself this question. If God were to remove the Holy Spirit from the modern church globally, how many of us would actually notice? Would we go on as usual with our planning, with our agenda, with our church growth strategy, with marketing, with media, with planned services? Or would we find out that the experiences that we have, the goosebumps that we felt or the, the encounters that we had were never really actually to point to Jesus, but rather who we turned Jesus into? Not a God whose image we carry, but rather now a God who's made in our image. You see in many ways in the church today, some of the striking and obvious ways that we failed is clearly on display. So you can, you can look at, I think it was last year, it was in the last year. I feel like COVID is kind of like thrown. Anybody feel like this? Like last year or maybe last three years, whatever. <laughs> um, but you remember the Lutheran church here in Iceland when they were trying to make a marketing campaign to bring people back to Sunday school and they made Jesus to have breasts and, and he also had a beard and is a, is a trans Jesus. And there is like a very obvious display of like, man, you just took Jesus and you changed him into what you would like him to 
be like, but it also happens in churches that are shocked at that type of blasphemy, just in more subtle ways. And so for, for, for maybe those who find it hard to live sexually pure lives until we get to really enjoy sex and godly merits, then we think, well, Jesus didn't really, he wasn't really that concerned about that stuff, you know? Or for those of us who would like to just read books, maybe you, you start to tell yourself uh, when you see the great gap between what you know and what you live like, you start to tell yourself, well, Jesus is really concerned about me knowing him. And yeah, I don't really show it by the way I live, but man, that will come later on. He isn't that concerned about that stuff. And what I hope for us today is that we would give ourselves to know the real Jesus of the scriptures in such a way that when we see a, a, a fake version of Jesus presented to us, that we would know it immediately. This is not the Jesus. This is not the Jesus. This is a Jesus. They use the same word, the same sound, but this is not the Jesus of the scriptures. So let me ask you these questions today. Do you affirm the humanity of Jesus who came as a sacrifice in flesh and blood? And do you affirm the divinity of Jesus who took on flesh as God, who from the abundance that only God has can truly pay our debt? And then lastly, do you affirm the identity of Jesus as his own? That you're not free to tweak him as a concept, but only to affirm or reject him as he appears to us in scripture. Because the last thing I wanna deal with is verse four. He says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who's in the world. Now, uh, I don't know about you guys, but I had a bunch of irrational fears when I grew up. Anybody? So like one, one of the nightmares I used to have over and over again, uh, when my mom and dad read me a Bible story about leopards, not leopards, leprosy, right? <clears throat> about the skin disease that Jesus healed the person. And uh, I don't know how I, I, I found out what leprosy was like, but they showed me a picture of what a, a person with leprosy looked like. And I was so terrified after seeing that picture that I would have this reoccurring dreams that I was being chased by a mob of people with leprosy who wanted to give me hugs all the time. And I was running away in my dream. And it was like one of the reoccurring irrational fears that I had as a child. <clears throat> Another irrational fear I had was professional boxers. Uh, so I, I remember watching a boxing match and I just thought, no one can stop that guy. No one. You can send a police force to arrest him. He'll just punch them all in the face. You can send an army his way, a tank. He'll just, he'll just beat it to pieces. No one can stop this guy. And I had this irrational fear in my mind that boxers around the world would unite and just take over the world and treat all of us like slaves. <laughs> that was, and then later on, I found out as, as a little a hyperbolic, like in my mind, it was a little exaggerated, uh, the ability of boxers to, to actually do all this stuff. Well, here in our verse today, um, it, it was, yeah, well, as I said, it was not completely I thought through. My fears of boxers was greatly exaggerated. But here in our verse today, we have one who, who should deserve all of our respect, who we should 
realize has all the power. And this is no exaggerating the extra exaggeration that John is putting on display here. Um, now, a, a lot of a lot of us want to become winners in life, like hashtag winners. We want to be able to post pictures, look at my successful life, and all this type of stuff. But John here is saying, "Hey, if you want to, if you want to really be a winner in life, there's only one way to do that, and that's to align yourself with the man who's already won, with Jesus." When you are with Jesus, the respect that we give him is not irrational, but rather it is our fear and anxiety that are irrational as long as we're by his side. But here's one thing that, that is the curse for all those who are focused on the miracles and the spiritual experiences and not the miracle maker behind them. Here's the curse for all the false religions who may use the name of Christ, but then have stripped him of his humanity or divinity or identity. These false ideas of God, when push comes to shove, when difficulties arrive, they offer no comfort. They offer no hope. That Jesus, that fake Jesus has not overcome anything. It's ultimately all based on lies and there is no comfort in lies. But if you believe in the God of the Bible, you can confidently say amen when the scripture says, you are from God and have overcome them for he who is in you is greater. Amen. Do you believe that? <laughs> There's one person that believes that. It's not hopeful thinking. It's not wistful thinking. It is a fact. Jesus has overcome. Satan has been defeated and we are on our way home to our King. And if you've ever found yourself confronted by demonic power, by lies, by threats from people, just know this, your strength is not in you, but in the one who's already won the victory. Can we say amen to that? Has anyone faced their own frailty and, and just noticed how, yeah, you can have some awesome days sometimes, but then then those bad days hit you like a brick of brick, like a brick, like a brick wall. <laughs> yeah, I'm wondering brick walls don't really hit you. I guess you hit, <laughs> you hit those days like a brick wall. Uh, victory over these things is not based on how loud you yell in prayer. If you're ever confronted by demonic power or lies or threats of people, it's not about how, how, how loudly you yell. That's, what I, that's the idea I grew up with. You know, if I'm ever confronted with a demon, I'll just yell get out of here <laughs> as if it was like up to me and my power to scare the devil himself. <laughs> like he would probably laugh at me uh, being 11 screaming. No, it's not about how, how loud you yell. It's not about a crucifix that you wear. It's not about imported holy water from Jerusalem or whatever silly ideas that people come up with to say, this is going to fight the demonic power. No, he's saying here, no, it's, God himself has come and has won. If you want a victory, if you want to live the hashtag winning life, right? Align yourself with him because he's already won. If you really want to walk in victory, our comfort is simply in the God that you love and who loves you, who's already won. Now, in some ways, we're all like sponges. Whatever we dwell in is what comes out when pressure is on. Uh, Jesus probably put it more eloquently. And in Matthew 12, 34, he says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Um, but what will come out when you face trials? 
or when the Antichrist tries to present you with an opposing force to Jesus or a replacement of Jesus. And the question for us, will we sound like the people of the world that we see in, in verses five through six or the people of God? Only in the one true Jesus do we find a community of believers who speak the common language of the love of God and the love of each other. The language of community, this transcends cultures, class, race, education, background, everything else. But to us, dear brothers and sisters, the challenge is simply this. In a world full of antichrists, in a world that's full of people that are totally content with just being spiritual, will we be something more? Will we know the one true God? And may we have discernment when we face religious experiences and religious power to make sure that it points to the real Jesus. Let's praise him for his humanity. Let's worship him in his divinity and let's honor him by taking seriously his own identity. Let us have informed minds and heads, transformed hearts and equipped hands so that we can be representatives of Jesus because we truly know because how are we going to represent someone we don't know? He came as a great savior to great sinners in need. And again, going back to, to uh, next week, if, if last week, if, you, if we want to experience the, the comfort of knowing that he has overcome, one of the best ways to do that is to abide in him to allow him to show you how he has overcome. Like I'm, I'm facing this difficulty right now. Like I'm, I'm kind of like, I see some new faces and I want to like take everybody in. Like everybody come over to my house. Let's have fun. And uh, I want to be involved in everybody's life. And I'm realizing that if I do that, I'm just going to be totally neglectful of everybody because no one's going to feel included if I'm just trying to run around to everybody. I don't have, I don't, I don't have the ability to do that. But I'm realizing more and more, I need to just abide in Jesus. I need to pray. We need to pray for one another and we need to pray so that we would actually get to experience God working in us and through us to say, okay, God, who is it this week that needs me come and be a part of their lives? And so as we, as we uh, and it's very interesting because John, he's talking about people who are denying the humanity of Jesus. And every single week, we, we actually remember the humanity of Jesus. Because in the communion and the broken bread and in, in uh, the wine or the juice, we remember the, the body of Jesus that was broken for us. We remember the blood that was shed for us. The blood that says, hey, now I've died for you. Will you live for me? And so it is ours to respond to, to this. If you're in here and you haven't tasted of the grace that is found in Jesus, let me tell you this, it's never found in a false kind of Messiah. Only in Jesus do you find a true and real savior to a sinner in need. And what is great is that last week, it was a verse that says, he knows everything that's going on in your heart. He knows the worst things about you. And probably the things that you don't even know about yourself but yet he loves you more than anybody. What a freedom we have in Jesus. And so as we go into this week and as we remember the humanity, the divinity and the identity of Jesus, 
Let us go and remember not just to be chasing spiritual experiences, but always as we experience God, as we experience his work in us and through us, let's remember how they point to Jesus. And if we are ever used as instruments of mercy to bring healing, to bring hope, to bring anything into a situation, let us point quickly to Jesus. Because ultimately it's not about delaying of death, it's that he has already defeated death. And so as we go into this, uh, this worship set, um, let's, let's remember the, the humanity of Jesus as he died for us. And if you're in here and you haven't taken this step to place your faith in Jesus Christ, um, it is simply this, you're surrendering everything and, and he is worth it all. You're saying, Jesus, here's my life. You rule now. You are my Lord. And you believe in your heart that he is truly your savior, meaning that he has paid the debt. When you come before God one day, you're not saying, look at all the cool stuff that I've done. You're saying, no, Jesus has overcome. If you've made those two confessions, if you've surrendered your life to him, and if you have uh, recognized him and believe him to be your Lord and savior, then celebrate with us what he's done to us or for us on the cross. He's cleansed us. He's made us his. And if you're not willing to take that step, I would love to talk to you so that I can pray for you and with you. Um, but please don't take the communion. Uh, we would consider it a mockery of the cross. And, and worse than that, God would consider it a mockery of the cross. And the, the Bible clearly and explicitly says that there is judgment that follows that if someone mocks the cross by taking communion unworthily. So if you're in here and you're not a Christian, please skip this. Uh, so let me pray as we go into this song. Father, I, I thank you for the grace that we have in Jesus. I thank you for the humanity of Jesus, that we have a high priest who, who suffered, who knows what suffering is like. So when we pray in our suffering, he knows exactly what we're going through. Father, I, I thank you for the divinity of Jesus because only through his divine nature is he able to pay the debt that, is, that, is, that we cannot pay. And Father, we thank you for the identity of Jesus. And Father, as we go into this week, as we experience you, as we see, may, may encounter great uh, spiritual experiences, God, may we continually be asking ourselves the question, does this point to the real Jesus of scripture? Because we realize that only in you, only in you is true and lasting joy found. Only in you is true and lasting hope found and we thank you for the fact that we have gotten to taste of this hope and joy but father i pray for a nation of people that is yet to taste of this hope and joy i pray that you would use us as witnesses father as acts 1 8 says may you give us the holy spirit so that we would be equipped to be your witnesses around the world and so as we as we go into this week may we remember that as the sunday service is drawn to a close our worship is not we go into this week worshiping you for who you are and what you've done and what joy we have, what hope we have, what purpose we have in everything that we do and everything that we say when we face the mundane day-to-day -day activities, when we face our jobs or our family members. Father, may we realize that you have given us purpose in every single thing that we do and may you use us as instruments of mercy to bring light into darkness, to be salt and light. May we be like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Not so that we would get any honor, but so that we could point to you. 
because you deserve all the glory and all of the honor and all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When you're ready, take, take uh, uh, the elements and after this song, we'll celebrate together. Uh, let me read to us and let's read together Matthew 28, the mission that we have, uh, 28, 18 through 20. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And then let me read the benediction from Hebrews 13. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Father, would you be with us as we go into this week? Holy Spirit, would you lead us? Would you open our eyes to opportunities all around us? To, to share the love, to speak of the love of Jesus and to display the love of Jesus. And Father, would you use us to disciple one another, to evangelize the people around us and to share the hope that we have. So Father, as we go into this week, may our worship continue as you go with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And that's it. I hope you stay and, and, uh, and I hope you get plugged into discipleship groups and small groups and see you next week. God bless. listening to Sermons from Iceland, a weekly podcast highlighting the Sunday teaching ministry of Lofstofan Baptiste Kyrka in Reykjavik, Iceland. If you have a desire to see the gospel spread in Iceland, consider partnering with the Iceland Project. For more information, go to theicelandproject.org. If you live in Iceland or plan on visiting Iceland soon, make plans to worship with us at 11 a.m. on Sundays. Our address is Fagrating 2A, Kopavar, only 7 miles or 12 kilometers southeast of downtown Reykjavik. You can reach Pastor Gunnar via the Lofstofan Facebook page or by email. His address is lofstofan at lofstofan.is. Join us next week for another Bible-based and Jesus-centered message on Sermons from Iceland. Iceland.